all? Then you do it. Ladies first. <laughs> Generational change. It's Monday night. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. And we're finally not matching or. We've, we got it. Yes. We got it. We are. <laughs> so we hope uh, for those of you who are coming over from Jordan's channel that you enjoyed our little bit about Sunday Sanders. But, uh, you know, the big topic of conversation, obviously, is the whole system just seems to be collapsing right now. And there are. While I do think that you're going to need to have, uh, you know, somebody coming in from a primary situation, the Democratic Party, I do think there is going to be some type of an opportunity for an independent or at least somebody to run outside the third, the two party duopoly that's going to cause a stir. I hope so. I, I would like to say that I've been wanting him to run for president since long before I knew who Bernie was. You know what I mean? Like ever since like the governor days. Yeah, that's the truth. I've always liked him. So, uh, yeah. And he is someone that I find to be like a true patriot. And I, I respect that. So that matters to me. Yeah. And again, I, th- I, I really thought that, um, you know, Jesse was going to have an opportunity to run in 2020. Again, we don't really know. Everyone's going to have a, a, you know, a different opinion about what did or did not happen uh, with, you know, the Green Party and what they did and did not do. I, I believe that... They didn't didn't think that Jesse was pure enough for the party. But honestly, before I got on Uh, Bernie's campaign, I remember like saying, oh, I hope if Jesse Ventura runs, I want to work on his campaign. Like this is, you know. Well, I again, and this is really the difference, you know, between somebody like Bernie and somebody like Jesse uh, and, and maybe, you know, some of the other people we've talked about who have run for president. But the thing about Jesse Ventura that makes him very interesting is the fact that he is not just somebody who would run outside the two-party system. He has done it, and he's won. But you know what? You know when we we talk about how Bernie wouldn't go the distance in terms of calling out Joe and really, you know, putting – Bernie really didn't want to do that. Jesse would call him out on the stage, in a debate, anytime, anywhere, and he would. And that's that's a big difference. You know, Bernie has policy, and Bernie is a reformer, but he's not a revolutionary. Jesse's a revolutionary. <laughs> He's definitely something special. And we've For always sure. felt that way. I yeah. always felt that he was, uh, you know, just just somebody who really is a cut above. Um, he's just really different. Um, the way he has zero Fs to give, that's always been his disposition. Um, he sees both sides as equally terrible. He thinks that there's good things about conservatism, good things about liberalism. But in terms of the infrastructure, the way things are set up in this country, it's really bad. He's anti-party. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's just he's, he's pro-America. Yeah. In the truest and, sense. And, and in reality, the parties, along with their corporate friends, that's what's killing us. The parties are basically their vessel to kill us because that's how they've taken over the government. Yeah. So it's kind of like they are definitely part of the empire. They are. And I think he's, that this he is, sees outside of that box. And I, I think, love that. I think Mac is correct. I do think that it is very possible. And that is one thing uh, that is very possible. As far as I can tell, uh, if Jesse's going to do this, I, I'm not even sure he's necessarily going to do it within one of the parties. I, I could honestly see him doing it as an MPA. Right now, he's no really coming on. To be, he's coming on to promote his new Substack. Well, that well, yes, but of course, everybody wants to talk about. Everybody wants to talk about what he's. If well, he's you know, run. the problem is, is that there's just so few leaders out there, and he's so good. He is. He is. It's like you know. You also get the sense that 
if he did it, he doesn't really want to. He feels like he has to. Yeah. This is somebody who served one term as governor, had very high popularity, was did a really good job, and then chose not to run for a second term. Very George Washington-esque. The thing I also love about him is that he was a Navy frogman. Talk about talk about a badass. I mean, he may not. I mean, that's he's basically he's, he's like extremely being versatile. Yeah, I like I, I like a president that's been in Predator. Uh, I wouldn't mind a president who knows how to actually <laughs> ride a motorcycle. <laughs> well, there's just a lot of things. I to me, having served is an important factor. Um, yeah. If you're going to be leading the world's largest military, I, to me, I like somebody who has served. That's just, you know, personal preference. But he's just he's badass. <laughs> just badass. I love that. Well, Jesse should be here. Should be here. That yes. is the optimal. Yeah. Point. Uh, so and I see. think is his son son's going to join. Okay. Ty. Uh, all right. So hang on one second. Make, uh, this always happens. Link. I tell you repeatedly to stop sending people Google Calendar days. But I don't think I. Do. You're only supposed to send that to me. You're, you're not supposed to, you didn't send it to me. So maybe that's where you sent it. Okay. So I guess I'm going to have to get this link. Uh, you are so challenged. Go, go to our stream yard where we are and get a copy. You can send from there probably. You no, can. but I already sent it this afternoon. That's what I'm saying. Okay. I'm saying, where, where is the sent messages? Uh, you are so challenged. Anyway. I'm not that challenged. You're a little challenged. So apparently there's been new January 6th footage. And I'm I'm really wanting to talk with Jesse. There's like there's a few things in my mind that I really want to touch on with him, you know, besides me just sort of fangirling. Like, you know, I definitely think we should talk about January 6th and who these patriots think they are. You know what I mean? Like this whole concept of that that they're like these pro-American people that were trying to insurrect. And just and then I wanted to talk with him about um the gun reform issue lately because he's one of those people that probably really does know about firearms and probably also has a lot of friends that are pro gun. And yeah. it's always very, you know, and he's someone who would probably have good policy suggestions. So I could talk with him about like probably a million things. No. And, and Jesse will be here in a minute. Um, I think it's again, his, uh, his ability to really, and again, have, like you say, be very diverse in terms of his, uh, his uh, con converse, uh, conversing, uh, conversing abilities um, to talk about basically any topic. Oh, yeah. And you can talk about who killed JFK. There's also something to be said. Any kind of conspiracy theories, which the only reason that they're called conspiracy theories is because they want people to think that they're crazy when, yep. in fact, they're not. So, so yeah, there's that. So we've had, uh, obviously, some very interesting guests on our podcast before, but this one's very special. Um, this is somebody that Jen and I both admire very much uh, for a multitude of reasons, not the least of which uh, he is extremely entertaining. So we could start there. That's how everybody initially knew him. He's also somebody who really has a grasp of where the American people are really at. That's why when somebody is elected as an independent at the highest level in a state, People realize that, wow, it really is great to have somebody who isn't just playing party politics. Yeah. Having somebody who's also served our country means a lot. And having somebody who really gets just how precarious our situation in our country is right now and can not only diagnose it, but hopefully help solve some of those major problems that are facing us today. So without further ado, the one and only Jesse, the body Ventura, welcome to Generation. <laughs> 
Well, thank you. And uh, that's quite an introduction. I hope I don't fail on all of this. You've put a lot of pressure on me here to come up with a solution that uh, I don't know if anyone's got an answer to. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've been a fan for a long time, um, like huge fan. Like this is definitely, and I've said many times, you could probably find it in our show's history, that you are my biggest get to get on this show. And so I am so thankful that that you came on. And I feel like we could talk about anything. Like we could just, I, we could talk about anything. So why don't we start with you talking about your new sub stack and, and what, what you're doing that for. And that way we could sort of find a direction. Okay, well, um, me and my son Tyrell have both uh, naturally have left mm -hmm. RT America, Russian Television America, because it no longer exists anymore. It, uh, with the sanctions that were placed on it and the fact they couldn't use a bank and we, they were being pulled off of television everywhere. So uh, subsequently, as of May 3rd, we officially lost our jobs. So I guess I can go down and file for unemployment now because <laughs> I did have regular employment status with them where it was all paid for. And my accountant told me I'm entitled to it. I haven't exercised that option yet, but uh, because Substack reared up, you know, many times in life when something bad happens to you, uh, if you hold on for a few moments, it'll turn around and that something bad can sometimes lead to something that's even better. In fact, it happened if I if I can have the liberty of telling you in my pro wrestling career. Oh, yeah, I remember I, it. Yeah, well, I got struck down with blood clots in the lungs. I was critical for seven days the night before I was due to wrestle Hogan for the world title is when oh. it happened. And Subsequently, I did get back into the ring, but never to the extent of what I was. But you'd think my career was over there. But in the reality was through the adversarial of getting injured like that, missing my shot with Hogan, which, of course, cost me tremendous amount of money, you know, not being able to do that. Uh, it led to Vince McMahon coming up with the idea of putting me on the microphone because he knew that I could still talk and I still had the brain was still there, even though the body had failed for that particular moment in time. Uh, so I started broadcasting wrestling and subsequently I got more notoriety and more fame, fortune and what have you simply talking about it, which I found very attractive because then I didn't have to get body slammed anymore. <laughs> And I didn't have to, you know, get thrown into turnbuckles and take suplexes and other various things that, you know, wreak havoc on your body, especially when you get to an older age. You know, many of my fellow wrestlers are gone today. They've perished from planet. And those that are still left are a lot of them are hobbling around, you know, with uh, they don't move around too well anymore. And that's well because of uh, of what you did in the ring. And if I can boldly plug, uh, Tito Santana has a fantastic book out uh, called Don't Call Me Chico. And for people that are into wrestling, I highly recommend the read. It's a, it's a, it's funny. It's hilarious. And it really gives them the behind the scenes of what took place back in the eighties when wrestling made its big catapult onto the national scene. But Getting back now through this adversarial thing happening at 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 uh, at RT, it's opened the door for Substack, and really, I had freedom with RT, but you're still under the domain of television, 
Like if I said a swear word, they'd have to bleep it. You know, you still are underneath an umbrella of some sort of rules, regulations, and what have you. But Substack, it's not that way. Substack, the freedom is now there. I can participate both by speaking, writing, videos, guests, any means possible is available. And my son and I have only to answer to ourselves and the viewers, uh, those that so choose to uh, to receive it. And so it's an, it's an exciting time for me and the fact, too, that uh, since I did the show Conspiracy Theory, which I might add was for entertainment purposes, I like to throw that in there because, uh, you know, some of the conspiracies we, we recovered, I obviously didn't give them the great deal of credence, but there's still legit conspiracies out there that we covered. But it's the first chance I've had since conspiracy theory to directly work with my son. And we want to bring him on. He's sitting sure. there in the waiting room. And we <laughs> want to bring him on. That's why. So, okay, let's bring him in. Tyrell Ventura, welcome to Generational Change. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having us. It's a, it's a pleasure. It's truly No, a I was trying to find an inroad and I was like into it, but I saw you waiting there. And so, <laughs> and, and, you know, th this Substack is, and I'm very kind of dino in terms of tech stuff. Is this a written or a video? Well, the great thing about the platform at Substack is that they allow us to do everything from writing articles to putting up videos to doing podcasts, uh, so audio. So it, it's kind of that we can kind of attack every issue or everything we want to talk about for, on three different fronts. And it allows the subscribers to be able to, you know, get get us on all fronts. You know, they can, they can read, a, they can read the articles we put up that me and Jesse work on. They can see the videos that we put up and, the, and they can also listen to the podcast. So it's, it's a really great dynamic platform for being able to, to reach your audience on, on multiple different avenues. And, and I, and I found out today, I have a fan out there who I'm a fan of too. We kind of fell together. I guess you would call us uh uh, how would you describe us? We would be uh, un unlikely partners or unlikely allies. Go ahead, Ty. Tell them who. Uh, yeah. Who yeah, we uh, we, we got a, a great we were, uh, we were on Twitter and we got a great uh, message uh, from Chuck D from Public Enemy. Oh, wow. uh, fame. And, uh, and, and as though me and Jesse are divided by generations in terms of our musical likes, uh, uh, my father does have a, a good soft spot and is a fan of public enemy. And so it was really, it was fun getting a message from, from Chuck. Yeah. I always love it when our, way. when pads cross with people, you know, it's when you were talking Jesse about one thing leads to the next thing. It's like you end up exactly where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's how it goes. And like, I wasn't a subscriber and now I'm going to have to go on Substack. Just you are the reason I ended up with RT in the first place. Like that was <laughs> how I got there. I was, I, I was on Air America for you and Ed Schultz. This was like, I don't, when was that? That was like 2016. No, 15? it was like in the late nineties. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right? That's just Air America. Wasn't that the thing? Uh, didn't, wasn't Paul Wellstone involved in that? Yeah. Rachel yeah. Maddow. Was well, that was when Rachel Maddow was somewhat normal. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, <laughs> I, I remember Air America floating around out there back at that point in time. But, yeah. uh, well, good. We're glad to have you on board. And like I said, Substack is a, 
is I'm excited over it because uh, we can we can work our own hours. And right now, I'm 70 years old. I'll be 71 next month. And uh, I only want to work in the evening because when you get 71, you, 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 you're supposed to play golf in the day. And so that Substack allows me now to do that because I can play golf in the daytime then and then do my Substack show at night. And Ty's good enough. He doesn't mind working at night or in the evening. We're not really at night, but the early evening, latter afternoon. And so that's another thing. It gives you the flexibility to be able to work your own hours and to really uh, work out of your house, which uh, I did have a good uh, a good thing with RT though, because I, I was fortunate yeah. enough I worked out of my home when I did RT. And so, and, and, and I wanna say RT was a savior because I've been pretty much blackballed and, and banned from mainstream media. And that happened in my court case, the Kyle thing, because 33 media conglomerates came into that trial and in, in the, uh, uh, the appeal end when it hit the appeals court and interjected themselves into something that was none of their business. And basically, from that point on, I've been blackballed out of the mainstream media of America. You know, you would know, you this. Wanna, would you want to be on them? Would you would you want to go talk to them? Certainly. Because they, they they still have the great majority of people listening to them. And, and yes, I'd like to go on to bring them back honesty. You know, there's still that fight to be fought out there with mainstream media. You know, I don't want to see them disappear, you know, and turn into what they're turning into. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're strictly now basically an entertainment center. You know, that's what they're there for is entertainment and ratings points. Yeah, but but I think they can still be captured. I think they can still be saved. And I'd certainly make myself available to mainstream media, but I won't do it for free. I'm through working for them for free. You know, I used to go on all the time. They'd come CNN and they'd all come get me and they'd get me to voice my opinion, the voice of the independent and I wasn't getting paid for it. And then I find out all these other talking heads are all making money at it. And so when they entered my court case, I went, screw them. I'm not going to talk to mainstream U.S. media anymore unless they're paying me. That's a very good philosophy to have. We're speaking with Jesse Ventura and Tyro Ventura. Uh, Jesse, one thing that I think you can really speak on as somebody who fought in the ultimate propaganda war, which was uh, the Vietnam War, uh, where we saw the direction that a lot of these um, media outlets were taking at the outset of the 2016 election and what happened after that, uh, basically propagandizing Americans to believe that anything in RT America is anti-American, don't listen to it, or now we actually have to kick them off the air altogether. Um, could you talk about just how devastating this type of propaganda works on Americans because even those that have seen it and they've seen it over and over again, they still fall seemingly into the same trap over and over again. I'm in ground. It, it, it's amazing. Uh, you know, especially when you get my age and you start now, I have to even categorize it. I'm not seeing things over again for the first time. I'm now seeing them over again for the second and third times. Right you know, where the same formula is being used over and over again. And I've spoke out already, you know, we're all outraged over what's happening in Ukraine. 
And and I cannot condone nothing Vladimir Putin can tell me would justify what he's done. There is nothing that he could tell me he could gain or needs to do to justify what he's done. But I still like to bring up the fact that, excuse me, has everybody forgotten Iraq? I mean, we did the same damn thing in Iraq. We we invaded a country, a sovereign nation. We invaded under false pretenses, just like what started the Vietnam War, the Gulf of Tonkin incident, bogus BS, you know, that put us into that war. Then you get the Iraq War, same thing, ties to Al-Qaeda, weapons of mass destruction, all of it not true. Iraq had nothing. Allegedly, we were going to war to avenge 9-11, right? Wasn't that what they told us we were doing? Well, Iraq and Saddam Hussein had virtually nothing to do with 9-11. So why wasn't there the same outrage? There was. They just didn't show it. There was great outrage over when we invaded Iraq. But yet... The, you know, was tamped down. You could, well, you, you know, the story about me and MSNBC, don't you? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I was not allowed on the air because I opposed the invasion of Iraq. Phil Donahue was their highest rated show. He was pulled from the air because he opposed the invasion of Iraq. That's not mainstream media kowtowing to the government position. It's not questioning their position. It's supporting it when they don't allow anyone on the air who says, wait a minute, this is wrong. I don't agree with this. That's what they're supposed to be doing. And fortunately for me on Substack now, I'll be able to do that all I want. But would I go back on mainstream media? Yeah, to try to make till they kick me off again. (laughs) (laughs) How long do you think you would make it? How what we would do like an over under on that? Well, I'll tell you what the good thing about it would be. You got to bear this in mind. I wouldn't sign nothing less than another three year deal. So after they kick me off after one week, I'd get paid big money for three years again. You know, because they did. They'd have to handcuff me and silence me. So they'd have to honor the contract, which we both. That's what happened the first time with MSNBC. I was supposed to have Rachel Maddow's slot. That's supposed to be my slot on MSNBC. But I was never given it because of the fact that I opposed the Iraq war. Anyway, talk to Tyrell for a while. I've gone on long enough. (laughs) What is the short-term and long-term plans? Because obviously uh, a lot changes when you don't have an outlet, um, but your voices are so very important. Um, Obviously, uh, members of the chat were mentioning your show, uh, Watching the Hawks. you know, these things are very important, but I, I just don't think the average American really understands just how propagandized this nation really is. Like, I, I think that they they don't understand that the forms of fascism that have seeped into our daily lives and all they want to talk about is how, oh, the GOP is fascist. It's like, no, our infrastructure as a nation is fascist. They do not want dissent in any capacity because it goes against the bottom line. And nothing makes more money in this country than the military industrial. War. Oh, yeah. Oh, without a there, doubt. There, there oh, is just, no doubt. 
Go ahead, Ty. Go ahead. I was just going to say, without a doubt, and in fact, just to piggyback on that, I would say most of the mains, most of the people working in mainstream media don't even understand the the, the propaganda or the or the kind of uh, uh, forced consent that's at work. Because, you know, the hiring process is, you know, they're only hiring the people they know will kind of toe the party line. Whether and, and even then, if they do allow dissent, it's it's kind of only shaped in what falls into that kind of left-right paradigm of dissent rather than, you know, a universal thing. You know, that's that's why you see, you know, Democrats and Republicans get into bed with each other constantly when it comes to, let's say, you know, the foreign policy and, and, and starting and the military industrial complex and things like that, where, you know, you don't you don't see those other voices of dissent. And a lot of times the people working in the media, no one wants to think of themselves as, as oh, I, I, I totally only tow the, the government's line. No one thinks of themselves that way. You know, and so and, and so it's, I think it was Noam Chomsky who kind of talked about that idea that that and, and Matt Taibbi, another group person who kind of talks about that I, idea of, you know, in the media, you you know, they're hiring people that they know will kind of push the agenda they want served. And those people who they're hiring, they don't realize the, the, the agendas they're working for because they believe it most of the time. Well, you know, Tyrell, all, yeah, go ahead. You, you've always told me this and made me aware of it to always think about this, too, you, you, and deserve credit for it. You always tell me, look at who CNN hires as their who they want for, you know, when they seek counsel on what the government should do. They're right. I mean, it's a who's who of the intelligence community. You know, the heads, the former heads of the NSA, the former heads of this, heads of that. Well, what what policy do you think they're going to be pumping out there? They're going to be mouthing out whatever the government policy is that they want to get done. And again, it, it comes back for me to the to the harsh word, the word I hate, and the whole concept that I think is one of the worst things ever devised by man, and that is and that is colonialism. That is not only a huge part of this problem, but getting the message out there in a way that people are actually willing to grasp, and that's why, as we you know alluded to, I mean, this voice is so important. Well, you're someone to me that represents like a true patriot. And I think what we see now, no, seriously, like to me, and also very reasonable, like it's not dogmatic in the sense that it's just a team. It's the, you, you see the importance of the collective and that's always important to me. But right now the divisiveness, divisiveness is so out of control and it's, it's by, it's by design. And a lot of people seem to be confusing nationalism with patriotism. And this is something that I've always thought of you very highly on this because it's clear that that's, you, you understand that distinction. And just today watching the January 6th, uh, there was more footage released from, from that fiasco. And these people believe that they're patriots. Oh, I know. You know, I talked about that today on Substack and I said that, I actually watched some of that today again, and as outraged as I am over what took place, because I am outraged, I'm outraged over the fact that these people claim to be patriots and believe they are, and yet they had a, they marched a Confederate flag through my capital, and no one's apologized for that. Nobody's come out and said, you know, that was wrong, officially. And that irks me that that didn't happen. But what what I actually felt, though, in a little bit watching today, I actually had a little sympathy for the poor people that were there breaking in. 
because they got duped by the ultimate duper. Yeah. Donald Trump. They they believe they were doing right. They believed he called them out to go save the country. And they truly believed when they got up there and were rushing the Capitol to stop the election and screaming, hang Mike Pence. They were that narrow minded and believed so much that they were doing the work of Donald Trump and believed that it was a patriotic work being done. Now the question is, how do we convince these people that they got bamboozled? I'll always remember Malcolm X saying that, you've been bamboozled, you know, when Denzel played him in the movie Malcolm X, you've been bamboozled. How do we go about convincing these people that they were bamboozled? and were bamboozled, and that they should take a hard look at their position and what they're standing for and what they're really, what they, what they did that day was the exact opposite of what a patriot would do. How do they learn that the, that's what they did, or can they at all? I think those people need help understanding what it is in general, like what we're supposed to be as a country. A lot of those same people are the same build the wall, build the wall people that are so anti-immigrant, so like, you know, xenophobic and just really just their people. And to them, that's an America first type of mentality. These people are nationalists, not patriots. And right. I think that to me, that's the scary part. Like we're seeing this fascist thing, this populism thing. And in 16, I feel like we had a choice for it to go left or right. Like populism was rising and Bernie would have been the better option, but they just didn't take that seriously. And so now we're having this like right wing fascist uprising and it's nationalism and it's freaking me out. <laughs> well, first of all, though, let me get you on one. Bernie ain't the answer. I know that firsthand because when Bernie was making his run against Hillary, uh, he came to Minneapolis. I went down there as the ultimate independent with thoughts that I might endorse him. But after he avoided me when I got down there and then he gave me two minutes in the hallway, which allowed me to ask him the real question. I said, Senator, if you lose the Democratic nomination to Secretary Clinton, will you support a third party run or will you yourself run third party? And he looked me right in the eye, absolutely, and said, absolutely not. I will support Secretary Clinton 100%. I just turned around and walked out then. I left because I thought he's deceiving the public. Bernie is. And here's what I mean by it. Bernie's not an independent. He's a Democrat. He just runs and wants that I by his name. But when push comes to shove, he's a Democrat. He's going to jump in line with the party, which is what he did. He showed me that day that, that he was going to support Hillary no matter what. And here, everything he was talking about was pretty anti what Hillary was talking about. You know, trying to get the nomination. Well, come on. You know, so I don't like the fact that Bernie calls himself an independent. He's really not. He's a Democrat who, who likes to call himself an independent. And well, which, you, go ahead. And you, are, and you are a true independent in every sense of the word. But you are also somebody that a lot of people were gravitating to in 2020, hoping that you would run on the Green Party ticket. And the reason I, I think <laughs> you are a unique 
individual for this particular time in history is because while I do believe we are at the point where I think there is enough juice where an, a true independent outsider could come in and actually cause a stir, potentially even pull it off. I think you would win. Yeah. And you are in a very unique position because you've been a mayor and a governor. You, you are not just some, you know, person who's on the outside saying the system's broken, which it is, and I'm the one to fix it. How about the system is broken? I am from the outside. And by the way, I've actually done this before and I know what needs to be done. That's where I think you really separate yourself. And you are also somebody who does not give a flying F about what anybody else thinks. You will say whatever the hell is on your mind. And that is why people gravitated to Trump in the first place. And you, on the other hand, are somebody who actually gives a damn about the American people, not just himself, like our former president. Well, thank you. I appreciate that very much. Uh, there's not much I can say that it's thank you that you feel that way. Uh, I'm honest. You know, that's the big thing out of me. I'm going to tell you what I feel and then be honest about it. Uh, yeah, I feel somewhat responsible for Trump because uh, in my own weird way, because uh, when I did win here, he immediately came here and visited me you know, and did photo ops with me and all this stuff. And at the time, I we embraced him because we were at the point we were ready to embrace anybody. You know, we wanted to start a third party movement and somebody with money like him and connections like him would be good, we thought. But then he's made a complete change of who he is. And well, he never changed who he was. Uh, you just got to be around him longer to, to understand what he really is. And when I, when I came to realize what he really is, then I wanted no part of him whatsoever. But no, I agree with you. I, and I say this in all seriousness. I don't have mechanism. I don't have boots on the ground. People think I have entourages. You know who my secretary is? My wife. You know, and she's getting up in years now, as we both are, to where she doesn't deserve that position anymore. She deserves retirement from it. So when I say that, I, I, you know, I'll tell you this. I'd run for president in 2024 if a couple things happened. If, if a grassroots thing out there got me ballot access in all 50 states, because that's what it would require. They make it that way. You have to jump through different hoops in every state. So you have to have boots on the ground there, people to do the signing of petitions and all the BS that goes with it because nothing is done. There's not a separate standard form to get on the ballot. Every state's different. But if I could get on the ballot in all 50 states, I pretty much guarantee I could shame them into letting me in the debates. And I can pretty much tell you this, if I'm allowed, if I have ballot access in all 50 states and I'm allowed in the debates, get ready, because that's exactly what happened in Minnesota. They didn't think I could win. And I've always been. And I conclude the Dems and Repubs under one roof here. When I say this, if I can debate them, I can beat them. Because. Go ahead. No, no, please finish. My apologies. Well, I, I, you know, that's how I feel about it because I don't run against the candidates. In Minnesota, I didn't. I run against the parties and I portray the candidates. These are just puppets. These are just puppets who are controlled by the money and the party. 
you know, whoever they send out is a puppet. That's all they are. And so if you want a puppet, vote for them. If you want somebody real who you think will talk to you directly and has no, no strings attached, vote for me. And I think that would prevail right now if you could get the ballot access and be allowed in the debates. But you got to remember the status quo, the two parties would do everything to stop you from achieving that. Jesse, would you have uh, any objection uh, pertaining to the specific party? I mean, right now, the only two parties that really have the ability to do 50 ballot, uh, 50 state ballot access would be Libertarian and Green. I think <laughs> there's going to be a puncher's chance with Andrew Yang's forward party. OK, uh, what are your thoughts uh, on Andrew's? Uh, you know, I mean. We're, we're friendly with Andrew. We've had him on. Uh, he endorsed Jen when she ran for Congress. I really think that he's got a lot of great ideas, but his main focus with the forward party is ranked choice voting and open primaries. Well, what are your thoughts Andrew, on the forward party? Andrew Yang's the hope. Andrew Yang is the hope out there right now because there ain't no hope with the Greens and there ain't no hope with the Libertarians. Both of them have been around long enough that they should have made an impact. Both of them have not made any impact. I dabbled with the Greens. They were horrifying. Not only were they split and fractured, it would have required me to mend the fence or attempt to, to bring them together to get focused. And then I'm supposed to do that and then turn around and face the Democrats and Republicans with a fractured party. Ain't going to happen. Ridiculous. That's why I dropped out when I, and, and from them, you want to know the quote I got from the greens from some of them. Is he one of us? <laughs> Jen, what do you always say about the greens? The problem with the greens is, well, it, it's, first of all, they're just too niche. The sound is niche. The name is niche. You're not going to appeal to middle America, regular labor people, which is what we need is a labor party. And when those people hear the Green Party, they think about a bunch of hippies or whatever, or about a bunch of tree hugging hippies. Now, I know that the Green Party is more than that, but I'm just saying it's not. I always say what you just said. They've had long enough to to go somewhere and they just can't. They just don't seem to be able to do it. They don't want to. They don't want to. Fox News threw me in the mix through just Fox news did. I pulled 18% 18 and the green party could have had that. They could have started at 18%, which by any stretch would have got us in the debates. And they, they were, uh, I had to walk away shaking my head from them. And, and today, do you want to know where they're at today? They actually, some of them call up and threaten me today over the over the vaccine. Oh man! Oh, for God! Because yeah, because yeah. because I happen to get vaccinated. I'm over seventy. I've had issues with my lungs. Oh. I felt it was the best move for me personally, so I got vaccinated. Now they're accusing me of disregarding non-vaxxers. The only thing I've said about non-vaxxers, it's your choice. And here's what I've said about it. If you decide not to vaccine and you catch it and you're going to die from it, don't come crying about it. It's a choice you made. You made the choice not to get vaccinated. And if it turns out to be the wrong choice, well, then bear it up and accept you made the wrong choice. But, oh, I have these people, Greenies calling me now. I have to tell them, don't ever call me again at home. 
disrupting my day like on a Sunday morning. It is absolutely uh, incredible how so many people in politics have such lack of self-awareness in regards to what it takes to build coalitions properly. That's a huge part of what needs to be done. You're not going to agree with people on everything. One of the no. best things that you know that you can say about certain people of certain political persuasions is that people who have more of that independent, libertarian, if you will, mindset is we need, we need to protect our civil liberties, we need to end these wars, and we need to remove the for-profit middlemen out of our way regarding our doctors and whatnot. There is so many common sense solutions to so many of these problems, and yet so many people always manage to figure out a way to pick the most minute, uh, benign thing and say, oh, I hate that person. That person's a problem. I can't deal with them anymore. Yeah. Well, I, I've noticed that I've noticed that quite a bit. I was in D.C. doing watching the Hawks for seven years and was living out there. And, and I, I met all types of, of political activists from the professional to the grassroots, you know, all levels of it. And one of the tragedies that I saw occurring is that, you know, they'll get behind a candidate or they'll get behind somebody or a movement or whatever, generally a candidate or somebody. And then the moment that that candidate says something that, let's say, they disagree with. They could agree on like 75% of everything else that person says, but then let's say that person disagrees with them on one political issue. Well, then that person's tossed out or they're called a traitor or they're, they're uh, you know, disingenuous to the cause or whatever it might be. Well, you're never going to find a perfect candidate. You're never going to find someone that you 100% with, agree with all the time and then expect, you know, millions upon millions of other people to also agree with that, you know, to agree 100% across the board. What you have to look for at the end of the day is, is the person coming at it with integrity? Because you can have political disagreements, I, but as long as they, they have integrity behind what they're trying to do, uh, we, we can't be so divisive, especially when you're trying to build a third party or trying to build a, a alternative to the Democrat and Republican stranglehold, is that you can't I, have that kind of divisiveness amongst the activists. I've been educating Tyrell over one thing that I'll educate you guys on now, too, is that I'm a genius. <laughs> no, no, I just want you all to know that, that I'm openly admitting I am a genius. Do you know what qualifies me as a genius today? What, what would that be? I have common sense. <laughs> and today, if you have common sense, I'm educating Tyrell on this. If you have common sense today, that makes you a genius. Well, yeah, I <laughs> mean, bring, it's, it's that very brings unusual. you to genius level. If you have common sense, you get up close. You're up getting to genius level. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know what? It's and like and, and Jesse, like you brought up, like you brought up Tyrell, something as simple as the vaccine. Uh, th there's this idea that there's only two answers to vaccines. Everyone should be forced to get it or no one should have to take it. And it's like I just can't believe we're still talking about this. Like this that, is so <laughs> such lunacy. Like it, there is, you're never going to live in a country where you're going to be forced to do something. You've otherwise you'll really go. have a civil war. But if somebody chooses to get vaccinated, leave them the F alone. And if somebody chooses not to get vaccinated, leave them the I F just, alone. I find it so weird that this is a hill that so many people are wanting to die on. Oh yeah. And they like, do. I, I don't oh, understand. Do. Like there's so many bigger things yeah. to talk about. Like oh, I, I couldn't believe this greenie calls me at home to ream me out over it. Over such, uh, you know, I, it, I, it made me angry. And I told him, don't ever call me again. Do I not really ever call me again. You know, well, a lot of a lot of that is because I think that that we've been conditioned now to believe that when you 
talk politics with someone or you talk issues with people that affect us all, we've been conditioned to believe that we have to talk about them like you see two people battling on ESPN over their favorite sports teams. You know, we've, we've kind of been conditioned to believe that, well, if you don't agree with me, it's my way or the highway. And how dare you question my judgment or how dare, you know, and, and I think you, you, that's been something that was kind of created for ratings that is now filtered into the rest of society because of, you know, we're also a society adapting to everyone having a voice on social media. And so when you have these, these kind of, when you have your, your mainstream media turning every political issue, no matter what it might be into a right or a left dogfight with, with two people yelling at each other all day, that mentality then will gradually seep its way into yeah. how human beings talk to each other. And when we're forced to, you know, when with, with social media, where which we all love, social media is a great thing. Everyone being able to to say how they feel or you know post pictures of their family or whatever it is, you know, that's a great outlet for people. But at yeah. the same time, it's also kind of conditioned us to constantly be at each other's throats if, yeah. if, if there's a disagreement. And I want to thank mainstream media, especially lately, because uh, I mean, I'd be losing sleep right now. If I wasn't getting the blow-by-blow blow description of Johnny Depp's trial, I mean, that was so important though, Jesse. It's very. I, I, I watch it. I, I'm watching this on on CNN, going, "Why? Right. These are two arrogant actors, pompous that live in in, in a whole other world from other normal people. Why do we care that they can't get along?" Well, it's I mean, it ain't the first. It ain't the first time Hollywood people have been divorced and gotten angry with each other and said bad things about each other. I mean, how many times was Liz Taylor married? I don't know. You know, I, I, I mean, how is it newsworthy? Who cares? Who cares? But yeah. what's amazing is it gets the same amount of time as the Derek Chauvin case. Like oh, when we were same. watching that trial and I'm watching this and I'm like, this, you realize people, this is a civil case as to who pays who. Why do we care? There's no justice involved here. This is not our concern. Well, and that's what gets me is that people, obviously it gets ratings or they wouldn't put it on. And right. is that really how the dumbing down of America has occurred now that oh, yeah. we have to hear about Britney Spears and what's going on with, uh, you know, somebody has her rights to this or that or whatever. And these are national. So it reminds me when I had that little foray with MSNBC, I fought with them immediately because all they wanted me to cover was uh, uh, Lacey Peterson's death. Oh. And I, and I said, wait a minute, there were 10,000 murders. Why does this one deserve national attention? You know, there were 10,000 tragedies of people being murdered right when Lacey got murdered, you know, and why is this one important? Because unfortunately, you can trace a lot of this back to two major political decisions in the 80s and 90s, 1987 with Ronald Reagan, the removal of the Fairness Doctrine, and then the one that put it on steroids. Yes, Mr. Bill Clinton decided to implement the 1996 Telecom Act. That is what put media where it is today, which it is all TMZ all the time. That's all that matters. It's all about ratings. It is not about informing the public. And if you inform the public, you might lose money. So to me, that's really what it's about. That's the whole mindless point of Johnny Depp and the whole 
fiasco. It's again, we saw what happened during the OJ trial. They're like, oh, yeah, we got to do this all the time now. Like, come on. This, this is easy. Well, no, if that were like on the entertainment channel, I'd be like, all right, yeah. I'll get that. But it's 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 not. It's on the news channel, which we know here that that's not news. That's, you know, the stenographer for corporate government. But but other people think that's news. And so that's what they think they're getting for news. And that satisfies them. It's that interesting. because it, it is very scary. It, well, it's interesting when, when we were doing Hawks, which were, you know, five nights a week, live every night, me and Tabitha Wallace, and we were hosting, watching the Hawks. What was interesting is that we... We, we came to our news director at one point and said, look, uh, as a presenter, as someone who's delivering this information, it's hard not to become cynical and depressed, you know, constantly talking about the worst aspects of everything. important news stories, important things that you want to talk about. You know, thankfully, we didn't cover, you know, uh, pop entertainment stuff, you know, or if we did, we tried to take it from an angle that actually this is why it would affect you. But one of the things we went to the news director and said, hey, we're going to try an experiment. Could we at least once a month do a show that's only dedicated to good news? It's only dedicated to, to not just, you know, the fireman who saves the cat in the tree, but like actual, like, you know, things, science, things that are, people are doing that are actually benefiting humanity or their community or things like that. And brave enough, you know, thankfully they gave us the green light because we had editorial control. Um, so they couldn't really stop us, but, maybe, you know, but we were able to do that. And what was interesting about that is those shows that we were able to do actually got clicks. They actually got ratings and we, and, and they actually, we had a huge feedback of people emailing us saying, thank you. Thank you for spending a half hour out of my day telling me about the good that's happening in the world, as opposed to just all the negative. And there is a hunger for that out there. I just think that we're kind of caught in a loop where nobody wants to really take that leap. No one wants to take that jump because at the end of the day, it is easier to talk about what you're pissed off about. Yeah. And good isn't as exciting usually, you know, but I think there's, I think there's hunger for it though. I do. I really saw that after doing those shows. I really want you, Jesse, to put on the presidential cap right now, because the one thing that we really try to emphasize Uh on this show is just how powerful the executive branch really is. There is an insane amount. I I can't even begin to describe how much misinformation is put out there. Like Biden can't do this, can't do that. Or that that Biden has done the most executive orders in a first term. Like, have people not heard of FDR? Like, do people not realize that this guy did like 4,000 executive orders in his presidency and Biden has done 70? Like, the, the, the rewriting of history is incredible. But as the chief executive, WWJD. You, yeah, you would, have imme- you would have immense power. So something as simple as using the bully pulpit. Like right now, if you were president, what would you be out there saying regarding, let's say, the gun debate? Like what would be a sensible conversation to the American people to say, this is what would make sense for the most, um, for the majority, overwhelming majority of the country. And you can do that through a litany of different items. Something as simple as decriminalizing cannabis, which I know you and Jen would love. But in the, in the case of just starting with the gun reform, if you were the commander in chief, what would you be doing right now? Well, I've taken a new position on the Second Amendment in light of what's going on in the world and in light of these mass shootings that are going on. And my new position on the Second Amendment is this. Um, I believe everyone should be able to buy whatever weapons they want to buy that are legal. 
you know, we, we don't allow full automatic right now, so you can't get full automatic. Uh, they have this assault weapon. Let's get rid of assault weapons. But the reality is an assault weapon is not any more deadly than a high-powered deer hunting rifle. They truly are not. They shoot one bullet at a time, and uh, they're both, but assault weapon looks worse, and it can and, you know it does the damage. But here's my new position. You can own all the weapons you want. You can own them all. And you can sit on your private property and you can be Donald Trump and you can put on a Rambo headband and you can sit there and look like Rambo and sit there with your AR-15 and do all the stuff you want to do on your own front step. But my new position is this. No guns allowed in public unless that gun and person are properly registered and licensed to carry. No more guns in public. You can have them on private property all you want. If you're a hunter, you load them up in your car, you, dis, you take them apart. You drive them to where you're going hunting and you put them back together when you get there. And then you disassemble them in all modes of travel so that they are no longer operable. That is my new position on the Second Amendment. Own all the weapons you want on your own private property. But if you're going to be out in public with a weapon, that, that you have to be duly licensed to carry that weapon. And Because, uh, see, I was the author of Conceal and Carry in Minnesota. And what did I do? I made it shall issue. Because before that, it was up to the, the, the uh, 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 police chief. Well, that's too subjective. If you're down in the city, you can't get one. If you're in northern Minnesota up where the deer are at, they hand them out like popcorn. So what I did was shall issue. You had to pass an accredited gun training course. You had to go to the range and shoot a minimum of 70. You could have zero alcohol in your system while you're carrying. And you cannot, you know, carry that weapon and drink or do any alcohol or any drugs of any type. So if you have strict things like that in the use of the weapons, you're not going to have crazies out there carrying them to begin with then. And if they are, they'll be in violation of the law. So that's my new position on the Second Amendment. Own all you want on your own private property. That way you can defend your house against anybody, including the government, who's going to come down on you, which is why the Second Amendment was written, because the British used to come over here and occupy our houses and take our stuff. That's why they have the Second Amendment. And so this still allows that, but what it does is it stops guns out in public. That's the way it is in Mexico. You can't have a gun in public in Mexico or you go right to Mexican prison. What would be your position as far as executive orders go? There is a lot of things we've talked about on the show. Uh, we really try to hone in on the most concrete message. That is corporate special interests absolutely own our government. It is the biggest reason why we don't have anything. Medicare prices were just increased 14.5%, the largest increase in our nation's history. Why is that? Well, could it be the $47 million in campaign money that the Biden administration took as a result of running for president? You know, to me, it, it is so easily correlated when you look at how this money completely it, it completely dissolves any semblance of a working 
democratic republic. We do not have that now. This is full-blown oligarchy. But if you were president, you would have the authority to decriminalize cannabis. You could expand Medicare to everybody during a healthcare emergency. You could declare a national emergency via the um, building a clean energy grid because of the climate crisis. There are so many things that the president could do. And yet people are twiddling their thumbs thinking, oh, Joe just doesn't, you know, he just doesn't, he just can't do it. It's Joe Manchin's fault. Yeah. It's, it's, of course the president could do it. He just doesn't because, you know. he doesn't care to. Well, that's true too. Well, they're all paid off. That's the problem. You had a Supreme Court that made a ruling that said money was free speech. Now, excuse me. Uh, if you bribe someone in the private sector, you go to jail. But you're perfectly fine in bribing people in the public sector. That's called a campaign contribution. So see, the problem arises from the Supreme Court again. You got these nine people that sit up there. They can never leave. They're there for life. And they get to make all the decisions that have some of the greatest impact on our daily lives, like calling money free speech. Well, then why can't you go rob the bank and say you're just exercising your free speech? You're just going there to get some free speech. You know, if that's what money is, which is we know is bogus. And so the minute that they allowed that, say goodbye to your elections, because these guys are nothing more. That's the one thing I can say. And I think you guys should know this. When I ran for governor of Minnesota, do you know how much money I raised? Uh, it, wa- yeah. it, it wasn't a That's lot. That's one of those things he would like, yeah, know, like he well, knows. Like, I, I can, you don't need to know. 300,000. Yeah. And it mm-hmm. was all done in $50 donations from citizens. That's less money well, than we raised. Well, 50 bucks ain't going to get you in the door. You know, if you think you can donate 50 bucks and the governor's going to then give you a half hour right. next Tuesday, it ain't going to happen. You know, and uh, so and so the first thing I did when I got into office, I pulled my staff together and said, look, I didn't take any PAC money. I don't have any special interest money controlling me. So therefore, I don't want to meet with any lobbyists at all. And I put the word out. Lobbyists weren't welcome. And oh, my God, you should have seen how they wanted me gone. I mean, these are how they earn their living. They earn their living getting access so they can bribe the public officials. That is a great place to wind down the conversation, guys. One of the things that we have noticed in the time that we've been involved in politics, I don't think people really understand how much the consultant class is a cottage industry in politics, and it works on both sides. But the big difference between the Republicans and Democrats, Jesse, in the Republican Party, If you're a consultant, you better be a winner, because if you don't win, you're done. In the Democratic Party, you can be a 10-time loser, Loser. and they'll still hire you for the job. Well, remember this, though, too. The money people, right, that provide the dough to both sides, remember, they go to both conventions. It's like a football game. If you bet on both teams, you don't lose, do you? Correct. There you go. So what they've done, they'll go to the Democratic convention, payola there. Then they go hit the Repubs, payola there. So it doesn't matter to them who wins. They've got both sides paid off. And the only time that don't happen is when somebody like me comes along. 
and throws the fly in the old ointment. Oh, please. So, so how I'll do we do that? How do we so make I'll that pass it, I'll pass it on to my son. Let's talk my son into running. He's younger. I don't think you can transfer that. Like, I, don't, I, mean, I, I appreciate that. Like if it was a business, like I get that. Tyrell, if you- uh, Wait, wait, wait. No, no, I, I wanted to test something based on what Jesse was just saying. So one of the books that I read, this was long before Bernie or whatever, and I, I've been a fan of yours for a long time, was Democrips and with Bloodikins. And I loved that book. That to me was more like, I read that before like Bernie's run in, I don't know, because I read that like a couple years before. And your whole, like the way you see these parties, I mean, you you compare them to gangs. To me, the, the leadership are like gangs, but the followers are like cult. Um, yeah. so, but it's, it's the tribalism and they don't want to do anything about it because they just want to stay where they are because they're just feeding at the trough. Yep. Exactly. Completely. The, the change has to come from us. Yes. Yeah, ultimately. It's like everyone bitches about government and I'll, I will finish off. Here's a great way. Everyone bitches about government yet. The only place you have to look is in the mirror. Because we're electing these people. We're sending them there. And as long as we continue to do that, how can you gripe? You know, you, if, you know, we keep sending them there. We keep allowing the Democrats and Republicans to control the agenda and we don't have to, but we're a bunch of freaking lemmings. We need to get you with Andrew Yang and like maybe spark some sort of like political love connection. I don't know, but like- well, we're we're Andrew. I can tell you this: Andrew and I have already connected. We've already talked on the phone. I'll say this about Andrew Yang: when I watched the Democratic debates when he was in them, he was the first guy I said, "There's the first guy that's going to leave the Democrats." <laughs> you know, no. When I watched the debates yeah. and I saw them all laying out what they were what they were and who they were. And we were just getting introduced to Andrew, you know? And I, I said right there, I said, when I listened and watched that, I said, there's the first guy that's going to jump ship and realize the Dems ain't no better than the Republicans. Can you believe that they are really going to try to force feed Pete Buttigieg or Kamala Harris on us? I, I honestly, it's, yes, I do believe but, that, but I do think we're getting to the point I think we are at that breaking point. And I think if you had run in 20, there still would have been a lot of very scared people regarding Trump. But I do think we've seen the governance of Biden and we are reminded even more so under him than even Trump, just how broken this system is. And if somebody like you got out there, oh boy, it'd be very It's also... Guys, I'll, finish, I'll say, let Ty have it at the end, but yeah, I'll finish okay. by saying to you, I just did a podcast with two young guys in Kansas City, and I told them the same damn thing. The only way it's going to happen for me is for people like you to make it happen. Get out there. I don't have any, I don't have people Where's on the ground. Where's your staff, Jesse? Where's your staff? I don't have one. That's the is. point. <laughs> I, if you elect Jesse Ventura, you're electing an individual human being to that office who comes with no baggage. That's good enough for most of us. But the yeah. problem is, how do you clear the hurdle to make it happen? That's got to come from people like you. You guys got to pick up the ball and run with it, 
to block in front of me. I got to have, I got to have big linemen in front of me, knocking people down so I can try to score a touchdown. I can't score it without you. I think having you on the ballot at a bare minimum is absolutely a good thing. And I think what your message is, is much needed, especially now. And I think we are headed for a very, very dangerous point in our nation's history. It's getting worse by the day. We have no living wage. We have no health care. We have unbelievable runaway inflation. At what point do you think the country is just going to sit back and take it? No, people are if people think what happened at Justice Kavanaugh's house the other day is like that's the tip of the iceberg. That is a that is like a warning of what's coming if you're not careful and stuff has to get done. Tyrell, please finish us out. Well, I just, <laughs> I just oof, man, two two great voices, three great voices to try to finish us up, man. Um, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think what people, I, I think also too is that what people have to understand and what people who are trying to change things have to remember is don't always get lulled into the sexiness of federal politics. The, the, the actual, the issues of government that affect you directly are, are what are, is happening at your local city hall and your local state houses. And, and, I, and we have to, if you want to take down the giant, you have to start at the, you, you do have to start and cut, try to cut the legs out from underneath it. You know, the more third party candidates, the more people that, that are, are there to represent themselves and their community, and that's it, uh, that we can get elected to your, you know, your county seats, your, your, your local government seats, your state seats. That will, st- that's where that tidal wave needs to start because just focusing at the top, you know, you're not going to chop the head off and expect the beast to die. You know, it's a hydra at the end of the day. And and that and that overcoming that task to me is more surmount is is insurmountable compared to hitting it on the level of local elections and things of that nature. And I, one of the things we're doing on Substack, me and Jesse, is we're we're trying to highlight starting in Minnesota and then hopefully across the country, we're trying to highlight candidates who are who are running against the system uh, in order to change that system uh, on local and state levels, because we need to get more awareness on that level to begin with, uh, if we're truly going to change and, and, and redirect this country. But you're absolutely right. People are sick and tired of it. And you could also look at that as a good thing. I mean, look at think about it. The biggest swells of candidates who've gotten the most publicity, not bought publicity, but the most publicity in our last few election cycles were Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. Whether you agree with them or not, they were two wildly populous, populistic candidates, which means that the American people are ready for that change. They want that change and they're looking for those leaders out there to make that change happen. So I look at that as a positive, even though we had to live through four years of Donald, which was horrific. Uh, and, and, you know, I still look at well, the, what the action behind it as a positive. No, it was actually the key, really great. The key there is this. If you're talking about the president, you need somebody who has served before. Thank you. you. Need That's some, what I always you need, say. You need somebody who has at least stuck their big toe in the government for four years and knows how it operates. Like people have called me up and said, ooh, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, is going to run for president. Well, The Rock's the most handsome guy in the world. He'd probably get the majority of female votes, and he might win. Who knows? But they asked me. And male votes. Well, well, they said, would you run with The Rock? And I said, well, I'd consider it, but what I'd prefer The Rock to do is get elected to something else first. 
go out and learn what it's like to hold an office and deal with the machinery of what is government. Because I got news for you. You're not going to walk in there and change the course of that machinery easily. It is extremely difficult to even move the course of that machinery, to nudge it. And so I would say, get elected to something else first. And Ty, you're saying local. Well, that means Jesse Ventura now should run for county commissioner or something? No, so you've already done I'm it. Teasing I'm you. No, no, I'm teasing you. <laughs> no, you, you've already done it. You've already done that move. You know, you're all set. You're prime for the presidency. I'm prime no, for I, it. I, I mean it. I mean it on, on in terms of plus. You no, know, I understand. Leaders. Oh I'm yeah, yeah. We, we also time. need leaders. People, people are always saying, "Oh, yep. where are the leaders at? Where are the new leaders at?" Well, you only can get those leaders if 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 people get that momentum uh, on local. But then again, we want leaders that Serious don't thought become into that. We want, but then again, we want leaders who don't become career politicians. Exactly. And that's because the, diff- the difference is you go, like I always say, I go and serve. And when I'm done serving, I go back to the private sector. And then I might come back six, eight years later and serve again. But I don't go from one election to the next. It's not to a the career. Next, it's to the not next. A career. Exactly. It uh. is not a career. That's why I'm a statesman. They're politicians. And for everybody who's out there that is so tired of the two-party system and they want something different, guys, everything is local. City council, county commission, school board, you want to be the mayor, nonpartisan races. Do you know what else you can do locally? Here's something, jump on this bandwagon. Why do they allow political parties' names on the ballot? Put only, yeah. put only the candidate's name. Then it becomes every citizen has to educate themselves. Who is John Smith and what does he stand for? See, the parties make it easy. If you're conservative, you don't care what the name is. You look for Republican. If you're liberal or progressive, you look for Democrat or Green or whatever. Take away party names and only put on the ballot the name of the candidate with no political parties whatsoever. I would rather have that and people going in and doing eeny, meeny, miny, mo than than what you got right now. Yeah. Could we convince you guys to come back after November 9th when the absolute slaughter of the midterms takes place? And then we sure. can really start talking about uh, what 2020, well, 2023, I should say, because that's really when it starts. Yeah. Uh, but guys, please, 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 jesseventura.substack.com. In fact, I will write it out again. If you are not subscribed, please get over there and subscribe because if you're going to get the real hard hitting stuff, that we need to hear. You have this to get off of. Get. You have to get off of and, center. And media. it's die first, then quit. You know where that comes from? That's a Navy SEAL slogan in training. Ah. They tell ah. you die first, then quit. Well, yeah. I took I took that slogan because that applies to me now. Is I'm going to die first before I stop talking. Then I'll quit. This is why but when I why when I die time. will be when I quit speaking out. That's you are why I na- named the show Die First, Then Quit. You are an absolute national treasure, and you're pretty good yourself, too, Tyrell. Jesse Ventura, Tyrell Ventura, thank, thank you so you. much for coming on Jesse Generational you Change. We hope to see you guys again soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Our pleasure.
a true legend in every yes, sense. Yes, and 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 Ty's voice, God, he's got a great voice, well, like a really good radio voice. Well, he's got. I mean, yes, and I mean he's cute, but I mean he's got a really <laughs> good voice. Um, yeah, that was awesome. That so, was really. Although now, really, other than. The only other get that I have out there, people know, Willie Nelson and Snoop Dogg are my own, like really the only other two people. And then I think I might be complete. Well, if you guys would like to speak with a, another wonderful person who yes. we are very high on and happens to be in New York City. As you know, a lot of political happenings happen in New York, but a very important congressional race is taking place in the heart of the city, New York's 10th congressional district. It's Chinatown, Lower East Side, and some part of Brooklyn, I think. We're, we're going to find We're going to learn more about we this are. wonderful redrawn district who is a DSA-endorsed candidate, endorsed by... But, a lot but, of wonderful people. She is a sitting um, state, state, state representative woman. in mm-hmm. New York right now and is looking to get, yeah, I forget, what's the number? Is it the 10th? It is New York's 10th congressional 10th. district, yes. And um, the other person in that primary that I know of is Bill de Blasio. Well, we all know whoever Bill de Blasio is running against, we would definitely like in the first place. But in this case, we really like this wonderful And candidate. her name is Uline Neo. And I'm hoping I said that remotely good. We'll I, I looked out. it up phonetically. Is that good? You line Neo? Did we say it right? You line Neo. No. Oh, my God. I looked it up. All right. Bring her on. Bring her on. Now she's going to say it. But I, I'm so sorry. Welcome to Generational Change. <laughs> now you say it correctly. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Um, my name is Yulene New. Actually, it's Yulene, like Yulene to the left. And then mm-hmm. New, like New York. To the left. <laughs> okay. But I, Yulene, I got right. I got the first part right. Yes. Yulene. Tell us why you decided to make this tremendous leap. Obviously, being an assemblywoman in New York, uh, we are huge, huge fans of New York politics, if for no other reason, because we do believe that if there is a state that is going to pass universal health care first, it will be New York. Yeah, Um, there is. I know it's listen. we're well aware of uh, the two state senators are in the way right now, but we're working on that. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think that there's a there's definitely a real true progressive trend left. But in this case, uh, there is an opportunity to run for federal office. So what made you decide to make this big transition? Sure. I mean, so one of the biggest things, obviously, is that this is a really rare opportunity. Right. So I'm running for Congress because this is this district is a um you know, rare opportunity to give real representation to a lot of the vulnerable communities that um, have literally, actually never had their own representation on the federal level before. Um, When I won my first election to the state assembly in 2016, I was the first Asian American to ever represent Manhattan's Chinatown. Um, So if you think about that, in over a century, I was the first and the only. And so, you know, we know right now that our rights are under attack. Um, not just our bodily autonomy as women, um, but Republicans are literally waging all-out war against free and fair elections, against voting rights, against our right to not be murdered by a mass shooter. Um, I've fought and won um, those fights in Albany, and the time is right for Lower Manhattan and Brooklyn to have a proven advocate, a- advocate and lawmaker in Congress. And I think that... Um, you know, it's really important for us to have representation uh, that has a lot of different perspectives. Um, And, you know, I think that we are all here with our lenses, our different experiences, um, trying to drive towards making the best policy possible. And I think that I I add a valuable lens. 
Yeah, I think that I think that's great. So you your district, I know it's Chinatown, it's Lower East Side. And then is it part of Brooklyn? I know it's something there's another borough involved in this. Yeah. So New York 10 contains, um, you know, uh, all of Manhattan's lower Manhattan's area. So 14th Street and below. So the entire tip of Manhattan. And then we have Brooklyn, which is, um, you know, parts of Dumbo. Um, It goes to Park Slope. Red Hook, Sunset Park, and then also goes all the way and touches Bay Ridge. So it's like it's actually like right there. And so there's a lot of, um, you know, Brooklyn as well. And so it's the first time that we might have this opportunity because New York 10 actually contains both Manhattan and Brooklyn Chinatowns, as we know it, and is one uh, quarter Asian American. It represents a really big opportunity to increase uh, much needed AAPI representation in Congress. Because as you know, um, even though we have 7% of the population in America, Asian Americans do, uh, we have less than 1% of the representation in Congress. And so we are the least represented, um, you know, racial and ethnic group in, uh, in Congress. So this is where gerrymandering helps. Yeah, absolutely. This uh, is where your benefit. Well, yes, because if you're incorporating, you're getting two Chinatowns, in in one district, that's a benefit in terms of, you know, having a stronger voice. This is one of those times where gerrymandering is on our side. And representation. Well, well, actually, yeah. the, the thing is, the reason why there is this district, though, is because there was no gerrymandering. Like the, the special master was called in because of gerrymandering. And so they had to redistrict everything. And actually, um, they took into account the fact that uh, Asian Americans should vote together and we're right there next to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, outside of Ted Lou, there isn't anybody that just automatically comes off the top of my head that I could think of. Which and, is a meat. Like yeah. I've never really, th- I've never thought yeah. about it. It's so, just one of those. We have, things. Amazing, we have some amazing representation. All right. So even in New York, so I, we have Grace Meng and then we would yes, be doubling absolutely. the representation, including me. So, that, I mean, when I first, went to the assembly, I also doubled the Asian American representation there, went from one to two. And so, you know, I think that (laughs) it's a trend that we should keep going. You know, I don't I don't normally like the idea of like the identity issue even being a factor. But the reality is, is that everybody needs somebody that represents them and represents their community. That's the whole point. Understands their culture. Yeah, for sure. So it's not like I don't like it when it's terms of people play whatever that card is. But I absolutely like it when it's somebody that comes from that community. Like, it's like um, it, it can be used as a weapon, but it's also important for people to be represented. Like, that's why this is really a good opportunity. Well, for example, I mean, what you're saying is, you know, interesting because I think that, for example, I think that when we are helping to make sure that people have language access, period, it's like all everybody gets helped. Right. When you're talking about language access and seeing like, hey, you know, guess what? We have a bunch of people here who need language access. It's a lens that's really important to have. Therefore, everybody, you know, is getting that language access. It's just like, for example, you know, um, I I talk about this a lot because I I myself have a disability. And so we're talking about disability issues. It's actually everybody and everything is a disability issue. Every issue is a disability issue and everybody is affected because, you know, even if you're able bodied now or, um, you know, don't have a learning disability now like you might have one later um and you know it's it's like if we build ramps for everyone you know everybody's going to use it right like you have a suitcase roll right and like it's like it's so that it's helping everybody you know if you're making sure that you're having that access point i well and the truth is this is one of those things where we shouldn't even have to be like arguing about that stuff like i don't know whether i'll ever need a wheelchair ramp i might not ever need a wheelchair ramp 
but I feel good about other people having access to that. Like it's one of those things where people, you know, you might not have children, but you're better off having public schools so that your citizens are educated. Like these are just like, this is just and, and that word again, the collective. Then people call me a communist. I would kind of be a good communist. I would like, I love the idea of a uniform. I love the idea of a uniform. Um, but like, I think that, that it's a very important um, thing to see the collective and recognize, like, even if you are in great health, don't you want to be surrounded by other healthy people? Like, why? Like, we're all better off when we're all better off. It's just not that complicated. And people get so kind of spiteful and angry because people are desperate and unhappy and poor. Um, and so they're running around trying to live and it's hard to be happy for other people when you feel like you're so screwed. So then they say, oh, it's those people. That's why it's the immigrants, it's the Mexicans, it's whoever, whatever group of people, right? It's the Haitians. Yeah, they're the well, the, the Republicans are using this language with their weird replacement theory thing, right? Oh, it's like yeah. so horrifying because they're yeah. literally saying that, you know, like that, you know, immigrants like myself are replacers, you know, and it's very, very harmful and scary because that's also what caused, you know, some people to, um, have, yeah, I mean, the Buffalo shooting was because of this like horrible um, mindset that people have um, bought into and um, have targeted. There's no shortage of Asian hate. And uh, it's been well, it's been true. really on the rise. Like, yeah. I don't know, like you, do you know the numbers? Like I, I heard yeah. something, I couldn't repeat the numbers, but I know that it's been bad. I know we've seen the videos of like, little old Asian ladies getting the crap beat out of them, like just for standing in a doorway, like stuff like that. And I'm like, that could be like, like my bubby, you know, like it's freaking me out, but like for saying that. Yeah. Anti-Asian hate actually surged over 339% in two, uh, 2021. It's a record. That's because of China. Uh, That's because of that guy. It's because of China. Yeah, it's the guy who totally not about. true. That's totally not true. That's not why it happened. I was totally doing what I needed to do. Whatever. Absolutely. No, he wanted to blame the Chinese and the Mexicans. He had a lot of people at issue. He did. Yeah. I mean, he, he even said, you know, it's Kung flu or the Chinese flu or like the Chinese virus, China virus. He said these and things over and over and over, over again. Over and over yeah. again. And it even if people. Yeah. And even if you're joking, it's not Mr. It's not Trump, funny. how do you think certain people in your group, in your Mensa group, do you think that they're going to react to this? They're going to see that people are getting sick and think, oh, well, if we only got rid of the well, Asians, it would well, all it's, be Well, it's the other. It's the other. But the yes. thing is, and I will tell you this, people, I'll say it until I die. Any of your problems in life, any of them, I don't care what they are. I don't care how poor you are. I don't care. Are not caused by the people that are struggling more than you are. It is not caused by you are not going to solve those problems by kicking down. It's not going to happen. So it's like those are not the source of your problems. They have their whole own set of problems. And I would assume that you're a big advocate for a real progressive agenda, living wage, universal health care, a Green New Deal. Asians like living wage, too. Oh, stop. Could you talk about some of the policies that are very important to you? Sure. I mean, I think that, you know, some of the things that you just mentioned are really important, obviously. I mean, also just a reminder, 62 House Republicans actually voted against sending the uh, Senate's anti-Asian hate crimes bill to President Biden for his signature. Why? Can we just ask you, wait, stop your your Biden thing. What, What justification 
have people have have representatives, legislators, what justification have they given? I know it's not the truth, but like what justification would somebody have for not signing that? Like, I don't understand. Like, what's the downside? Less hate. Yes. Well, I, but I mean, say something else, right? No, but, but somebody who's voting against that, if somebody were to ask them, why would you vote against it? That's not what they're going to say, right? Like they, they have some sort of bogus. I'm just curious how you can justify that. I mean, I would be curious too. I, I think that, you know, again, you know, issues that I really care about, obviously um, I'm a huge um, anti-poverty advocate. I think that really one of the things that we have to do is we have to make sure that not only do we have, you know, healthcare that's preventative and housing that will help us to be able to, you know, be able to stay safe. And I think that we also have to make sure that we are doing things that will tra- stop people from being trapped in a cycle of debt. One of my biggest bills, um, you know, has been, uh, you know, removing asset limits off of certain benefits. I think that's really important because sometimes it's just the administrative parts um, of like just checking to see if somebody fits within the asset limits of the program or something like that, that is actually uh, more expensive and costs the state or the federal government even more money, billions of dollars actually in administrative um, reasons, you know, for um, just to prevent people from being able to get like SNAP benefits or just like basic food food stamps. You know, I think it's so silly to have these kinds of asset limits in place. Um, One of the other things, you know, that I have been a huge sponsor of is obviously making sure that we have protections for what we call the UDAP, um, you know, the unfair, deceptive, abusive, and predatory practices. We need to make sure that we're prohibiting these practices. We need to, you know, protect our consumers, protect our small businesses. Um, In the uh, state level, I actually sponsored a bill um, that is called the Consumer and Small Business Protection Act, which is an update to our um, GBL law, which is our consumer protection law in order to make sure that we are, um, you know, including uh, unfair, just like the federal government can um, include unfair into, you know, the law and then also making it so that we are updating um, how much it would be to find somebody if they actually were being unfair, deceptive, abusive, or predatory. Um, I think that on the federal level, we need to continue to, you know, stop, you know, trapping people in a cycle of debt. We need to help people to get out of that kind of cycle. Um, And then we have to make sure that we can, you know, bank the unbanked and like make sure that there's asset building programs out there and like really be able to help to make sure that we have this like, you know, progressive movement towards um, fair economic justice. We're speaking with you, Lynn. Lou, New, no, you lean new. Because I was thinking, like, instead of like you, I would say like Jolene or Arlene. Okay, so it's lean. Like that was you the lean so right. You lean left. You lean, okay. You lean new candidate for yeah. U.S. Congress in New York's 10th congressional district and New York State Assemblywoman. Uh, One of the advantages that both AOC and Jamal Bowman had when they ran for Congress and were able to win, not just that they were running a true grassroots campaign against corporate incumbents. When you campaign in a major city like New York City, there isn't as much ground that you need to cover in terms of logistically. No, it's true. Like our district span two counties. So would you say that the advantage of canvassing in order to meet everyday people that would be in the district. Would you say that that's effective in terms of getting campaign volunteers and being able to meet a lot of the constituency? 
I mean, I think so. I think I definitely, you know, have, you know, it just in my own building alone, probably the more population than some towns. And so I think that, you know, it's, it's different when it comes to doorbelling, door knocking, talking to folks. Um, but I will say that, you know, no one has the field operation and the volunteer operation that I've had, you know, and I, and I will say that I owe that a lot to um, the amazing young people and the amazing neighbors that I have in my district, because we're talking about right now over 700 volunteers already um, in just the first. Wow. wow. <laughs> I know. I'm wow. The fact that you're referring to the young people, when I'm looking at you, you are the young people, you know that, right? <laughs> Like, are you sending, like, are you sending children out there? Like, like for you, like what, what is going on there? Young people really gravitate towards our campaign um, because, you know, yes, there are high school kids and college kids like who are gravitating towards our campaign. And we have so many young people who are just, you know, really touching politics for the first time. I think that it's really about um, what they want to see. You know, a lot of folks are involved in obviously the sunrise movement. I want to give them a shout out. They're amazing. The sunrise movement. The, the young people right now are wanting to see, um, you know, that Congress, um, the, that the lawmakers that they're supporting are actually supporting them, allowing them to have the ability to live. You know, just today I was out with Triage, who um, is another uh, organization of young people who are supporting climate, um, you know, issues and like making sure that, you know, we have better language when it comes to climate issues and that, you know, they're the ones who are also fighting to um, have, you know, better gun control. Right. And I think that, you know, right now they've seen um, too many of their peers die in these mass shootings and so many kids. I mean, the signs that they were holding today, like they broke my heart. You know, when you're talking about this, the sign that says like students should be writing essays, not eulogies, like you, you, like, what do you do with that? Right. And so, you know, right now it's just, it's important to, to know what, what our future wants. And I think that it's really important to listen to the voices of, um, of these, of these young people who are very, very impassioned for, uh, for change. And we know why they want that because what we're doing um, constantly uh, right now, the status quo is really hurting them. And I think that it's really important for us to to answer that call. Okay, wait, before we go, though, I have to say, okay, so I've noticed a couple of things. Yulene is both a cat and a dog person. And the dog, <laughs> the dog, it's only, I only have a dog. I only have one dog. <laughs> I could have sworn I saw a cat go across. No, I saw the dog. No, I saw the dog. You don't have a cat? <laughs> no, I thought I saw a cat. And the dog has the t- white tip on his tip. Is it a he or she? It's a he. His name is Samson, and he's actually my service dog. Yeah. Oh, he's amazing. And he's got a white tip on his tail, and it's very cool. I just noticed that. We're dog people. <laughs> very Thank big. you. I'm a, I'm a major dog person. He yeah. is part and that's why he has those pointy ears. Um, my, my brother calls them AM FM radio. And so he's, <laughs> he's got huge ears. And so they look like cat ears because they're pointy. This is going to be a very competitive race. Uh, obviously, you know, we know that uh, former Mayor de Blasio is, uh, for all yes. intents and purposes, your main opponent. But I would assume that this is going to be a very oh crowded God. field. Can you share with us what it sort of looks like right now? And um when is primary day? So the primary day is August 23rd. It was moved back. Um, so, you know, 
New York uh, used to have bifurcated elections for primaries, but now um, this is the first time that it's going to be bifurcated since we changed that um, to make sure that all of our races are on the same day to save money. Um, but now uh, the court system has said that the new date will be August 23rd. Um, we uh, have already seen that um, over 15 people have filed for this seat. Um, so it is a very, very crowded race. And so we're seeing that a lot of different folks um, from different uh, perspectives are um, are trying to run for this seat. I think that uh, it is a very interesting dynamic. Um, I'm looking forward to actually having these conversations with folks because it is a really um, is a really important you know discussion to have for our district to have um, the ability to find somebody that matches their perspective the most. Do you realize that the only cannabis lounge in Manhattan is in your district? Really. Did you know that? <laughs> You probably don't know that. Yes. Yes, it is. It's called the Astor Club. And it's in this very nondescript. They only they have to vet you before they send you the address. And I was walking there and I walked and it's in Chinatown and you're walking there and it's this very nondescript stairway that you go up. You can't. There's nothing there. You knock on the door and these two huge guys answer the door and you come in and they sort of check your ID, make sure that you're who you say you are. And then. And not ID for age, mind you. Like they need to know that you're somebody that was approved. And then they let you into the room. And this is in like, yeah, it's in your district. I'm just telling you, it's awesome. But I've never been invited. <laughs> well, it's a mem- you can join. Certainly. It's a members only. <laughs> if you look up Astor Club, no, it's a members I've only thing. But- I've, I've heard of it. Obviously, I've seen, like, I know where it is. I just, I've, I didn't know, like, you know, I've never done anything that's like, oh, let me exclude you. Like, even when I was younger and like, you know, in well, the- it's only so that way because I've never yeah. even like, I'm not but it's kidding. only that way because it's been around since before you even had legalized recreational. And so it was there even before it was supposed to be there. So they're just yeah, it's like a speakeasy. And it's really cool. It's really cool. So if you're trying to potentially get Jen to New York City to help canvas or anything like that, her with, uh, you know exactly how to drag her up to the I can, I can. This is how I can tell you where it is. If you take like maybe, I don't know how many paces, but probably like three and a half blocks from the Sam's Fried Ice Cream, it's not far from there because I wandered out of the cannabis lounge and then I found a line and I always get in a food line in New York and it was for the fried ice cream. And that was really good. This was just a few weeks ago, by my, the way. My, my line. Okay, so I don't, I don't have like a membership there. So what I'm going to offer you is going to be more, you know, my speed, which is I'm going to take you guys to Winnie's where I used to bartend it is also a Chinatown bar, but it's a little bit more of a dive bar ah. karaoke joint. And so we can go there and we can have our own good time. Oh yeah. I like that. Like I like that. To oh, I would totally party down there. Yeah. Well, my spot, my, my spot is actually, it's just, it's outside your district, but my spot is uh, the Hallel gyro stand at 53rd and 6th. That is my, that's my number one oh, spot. If you're going to get sake. me to wait on a line in New York City, that is the only if one. There, normally, I don't stand on lines anywhere. Like, I'll purposefully not do something even I need to do if there's a long line. Like, I'm yeah. just not going to. However, if it's in New York or other similar places where there's a lot of good food and it's a food line, then I'm going to get in and I'll find but out what it what, is at the end. Is, but that is what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I know. When line. there's a food line, then I'll get in a food line. Uh, There's always something. Oh, a little Krona action. Exactly. (laughs) You never know. And this is what I do. That's how I eat whatever I want there. I eat small things and walk 
and I just keep walking off. I eat, I walk. So I have a, there's literally an article that Rezi did about my food tour of Chinatown. So we can totally take a food tour. I am down for that. I will take you on some of the best the food, food tours tour of China. New York. I am I'm very, happy very Is there, I, if you know any good Asian vegan restaurants Absolutely. or ones that are just- In New York, they're like every other corner. You could probably well, find an Asian that. vegan- the most famous one is Buddha Bodai, which is a vegetarian dim sum place right here in Chinatown. Mm, and then Chinatown. there's also um, Dim Sum Go Go has a beautiful vegetarian dim sum option list. Um, and we have a ton of, of beautiful Asian restaurants that are um, vegan or vegetarian. One would argue probably um, uh, that, well, vegetarianism started in China. So <laughs> no, I still think it speaks absolute volumes about the fact that you have 700 campaign volunteers and Lord knows. That's massive. Like that's insanity. Yeah. By the time you get to August, <laughs> that's insanity for a congressional get, race. Yeah. And by the time you get to August, you'll probably have close to a thousand Lord knows that yes. it will probably grow exponentially at that point. Um, <laughs> You are an absolute joy to talk to. You are an extreme. And you are affable. the young people, Eulene. You really are. <laughs> Thank goodness. You, you are the young people. Yes. Uh, also want to give a shout out. Um, the reason why we had initially come across your campaign is because we are very, very enthusiastic about Representative Ron Kim. Um, and I also happen to notice that you are endorsed by a friend of the show, Representative Ash Kalra out in California. Um, you are doing an amazing job. That's a good cross thing. That's yeah. a good coast to coast. Absolutely. <laughs> I love that. Well. We had Ash on and um, we were supposed to have Senator uh, Rivera, but then we've he had got, him we've had him before. We've had him before, but we tried to have them both at the same time. But then Senator Rivera have got caught up you know, with him. No, ah. no, that would be really fun. Okay. He's an amazing voice. He's also, I, I will just say that, you know, if you want to come, we will karaoke and we will do a thing with Gustavo Rivera and me and we will do you the got whole a New York thing. trip coming. Up. I, I might, I might have to go. And I, I don't necessarily sing karaoke, but I'm more than happy to watch karaoke. Don't stop believing. Nobody. I know I can't, my voice is too deep. I can't sing. Uh, let let me uh before What's the you website? go yeah i'm gonna write it oh out. yeah let okay, me plug your website it's yes new please. for new york so as we were saying it's new for new york n-i-o-u-f-o-r-n-e-w-y-o-r-k.com you know what whoever decided to go with that for branding was very smart very smart okay <laughs> well, no like your name is not easy other than within a community of people that probably are familiar with it. it's not easy and it would be easy for people to get website wrong. And it just, it wouldn't be easy for a lot of gringos to figure this out. We and this specific hashtag and that hashtag is literally hashtag New York. So. Oh, wow. That's New awesome. New York. New York. Yeah. Hashtag really New good. York. <laughs> I just put it into our little chat. That's awesome. <laughs> Yulene, yeah. you have uh, you have been absolutely exceptional. Yes, as Jen likes to say, um, very confident. Uh, but obviously, you do not rest on your laurels. Having an army on the ground is phenomenal. Yeah, guys, get on get on there. Definitely follow mm -hmm. on social media, and if yeah. you can phone bank, phone bank. If you're there, canvas. It's actually not that hard. No, it's really not that hard. Although, quite honestly, that's a lot of people you've got. You don't have. They don't even have that much square footage to cover. 
No, it's but it's really, really fun. Actually, I love talking to people because I love hearing their different perspectives. I think it's all about listening. It's all about understanding where, our, you know, what our district needs and where people are at. And having those different perspectives actually helps us to make better policy. You know, every single piece of legislation that I've done on the state level was actually inspired by a constituent or an issue that we were facing here in my district. And I will continue to obviously legislate in that way. That's awesome. And you are also looking to represent probably the most culturally diverse part of not just uh, New York City, but possibly the entire country. There is nothing that you cannot do on 14th Street and South. It has got <laughs> anything and everything you could possibly imagine. Uh, if you want to go to the Bowery, if you want to go to Chinatown. This last time I was there, I was uh, on 20th. On twenty, that's I was on twenty. Enough. No, it's I know it isn't, enough. but we, I I wanted to be able to easily just while we were walking to the garden, and I needed I was there to see Billy Joel with my son, so I just well, it was better. Oh, you went to the you went to the Billy Joel thing. That's awesome. I did. I know it was awesome. It was on my birthday. It was like the best. Mm, if only we had the if only we had the Rangers in the Stanley Cup Finals right now. Okay, now, we're not talking about your sports games. <laughs> that's that's a big thing for me, but. Thank I you so much for coming Julian, on. Thank you so much. Again, thank you guys, so much for having me. Absolutely. Our pleasure. And we definitely would be pulling for you. And maybe we will hopefully see you before the primary. Go to okay. newfornewyork.com. Guys, phone bank, text love. bank, contribute. Let's make sure we get a non-corporate representative, another non-corporate representative in New York City on Capitol Hill. Thank you so much, Julian. Have a wonderful thank evening. You. Bye. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Have a good night. I love making friends that will facilitate me eating. Well, I think that's what everybody wants, friends. And I'm not singing karaoke. Well, the good thing is, is that she probably knows a good place or two regarding food. She just said she did a whole food tour. She wrote yeah. a whole food tour of Chinatown. I want to do that. I could do a food tour of Chinatown. So I went there. I went to Chinatown one time. I was in New York specifically just to go get this. I could have. Chi- I could have Chinese food right now. Like, well, I could, that sounds I'm, good. I'm actually in the mood. But, but like, if I lived in New York, honestly, I would almost want to do this thing where I have to eat in a different restaurant every night and write a book about it. I'd probably gain like a thousand pounds. But it would be, it, I don't know. You It'd wouldn't gain a thousand pounds because you'd be walking around the city. Well, that that's true. And I and I only eat small amounts of food. I eat small things. Like I don't eat go big meals. But yeah, I would basically eat a different place every single night. And from your perspective, it's like, well, if I can only take in so many calories in a day, I'll purposely only eat once or twice so yeah. I can have exactly what I want. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess more people want to have that philosophy. Yeah. So, yes. Agreed, Travers. Agreed. Oh, and Rita, I don't know if you're still on there, but she was asked, she thought it was funny that I knew about this. I was there a few weeks ago. I was there on my birthday before Reese, uh, or the day before my birthday, and um, the Astor Club was special. So the uh, the big takeaway, I, I there's obviously a lot of things we would take away from these conversations. First of all, Yulene is an absolutely lovely girl, and would definitely be pulling for her. She is. Uh, I think she's got a really good shot, yeah. especially in a very crowded field. And the fact that she's got such an unbelievable volunteer army, de Blasio is going to have a lot of money. Well, and th- but, but this is this is someone who has a record as a representative yeah. for that. For she's that got area. name it's recognition. Like, yeah, she's she has. It's not just and she has name recognition, but she also has like she knows about policy. She understands legislation like she's not just coming out of, you know, nowhere. So, yes, he was the mayor. But you know what? 
I would like to say that most people are really tired of the same old people. And I say old, seriously, the same old people, the same old men. Lady. Over and over gal, again. Gal. Sorry I said Oh, girl. he sometimes does that. Can I tell you, like, sometimes he'll do that and he'll occasionally call waitress babe and stuff like that. Or hun. You what? call hun. Hun. He'll say, hun. Um, and, and here's the thing. And I know that, that you could be offended by that, but I swear to you, he, he really, it's coming much more from a chivalry place than any sort of misogyny. I assure you, we've traveled together. He's not misogynistic. I don't need you to defend me. I'm just saying, I'm just saying as a woman, I understand Like I've, I've called him on it a few times. I've said, you shouldn't call them, hun. You shouldn't do that. Like, you know, sometimes he'll even touch like he does, but it's more just, it's kind of just old school chivalry. Uh, As far as the conversation with Mr. Ventura is concerned. I'm so glad you didn't do that. I would have died. Okay. Uh, he is definitely serious. Um, but he needs he, ballot access. The fact that he has that he and Yang have spoken is very promising. I to me. think that that's very so, promising. So with that said, um, that's why Wednesday night's podcast now becomes even more, more interesting, interesting because none other than Andrew Yang's campaign manager, Zach Grauman, will be coming on our podcast to talk about his new book. Which I'm almost, uh, I'm, I'm in the process of listening to. It's called Long Shot, and it's the book about his him and Andrew, their campaign, which is very much like our ragtag, like th- this story listening to it is very, it's a national scale of our campaign. Yeah. Like ragtag, didn't know what they were doing, didn't bring in consultants until like, you know, for certain things, like they really just used common sense and let Yang be Yang. That's the theme of it, which I always tell you, let me be me. No, that's what gets but that. But anyway, so yeah, I'm looking forward to talking with him. I've been listening to the book and um, yeah. He's somebody I would uh, want to we'll run the campaign. Also, I think we also have a candidate as well. On Not the, on here, though. You might. No. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, yeah, here it is. Sam Cow Sal and Sam Lawrence. Yes. Oh, we're having two. Thank you, Paul. Really appreciate the support. Our Thanks, first contribution guy. of the show. Uh, Thank you. We will, um, we will be speaking with two state house candidates that I believe are 18 years old and in high school. And this is in Ohio. But are they, are they running for different seats? Like, Oh, okay. I'm like that. Okay. And they reached out to us. Oh, cool. We're big with the, we're big with the high school politicos. So this was an unbelievable experience talking. I honestly don't know what I'm going to do now. Now, what are we going to do? Everything is downhill from here. Well, no, I need to get Snoop or Willie. That's that's now my big uh, thing. So anybody. Well, Jesse and Tyrell said they would come back after the midterms. So let's make sure that we get that. Set Love up, that. that would, that'll that'll really get an indication of just how serious they really are. So, uh, yeah, I think that, no, you know, we, we have could, a podcast with him and Yang. That would really be something. But I think we could pull that off Maybe. again. You know, you never just know. The, just, but he has definitely Jesse is making it very clear right now that it is the forward part. That that is who he'll run with if it can if the ballot access can be there. Andrew knows how to raise money, and people around him do. They know how to get things done. They do. They just do. So if he's got another year plus two years to get him the ballot access, and honestly, if he doesn't get ballot access in all fifty states, he'll run as an he'll he'll be on the ballot as an independent in other states. That's what will happen. But I think if he's able to get on the ballot in the majority of states that they need to get him on then that's the ticket. That's well, yeah, some states, I think it's, well, all the states are different. That's part of the problem. Yeah. 
in doing this is it's you have to have real good teams, legal and otherwise, in every single state dealing with ballot access. It's a it's a production of gargantuan proportions, which by design so that it keeps people from doing it. But I would totally get behind that. I would totally like I would almost like I almost feel like texting Andrew and being like, I would totally get behind working on anything having to do with that campaign. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, it would definitely be a game changer. There's no question about it. Yeah. Um, We obviously know of some others that are considering uh, running as well, but there is something about Jesse. He is different and he's definitely got, uh, like I said, he would be a bull in a China shop. No question about it. So we hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to tune in Wednesday because now the conversation really gets interesting. Hope you guys enjoyed. Please share, like, subscribe. Yeah, guys, and if, and if you're not patrons, you can help out. Be a patron. Patreon.com slash generational change. There it is. So if you would like to become a supporter of our program, you enjoyed the content that you saw here this evening. Big shout out to Jordan Cheriton of Status Coup for recommending people come over to our stream. I'm going to take your pen away from you. It looked like at one point we had over 80 people watching live. That's really cool for us. We're a small but mighty show. But as you can see, we get good guests. We have really good content. And if you're new here, go back and look at some of our stuff. There's a lot of the stuff that we do. Yeah, we do news stuff and political stuff, but a lot of our stuff is authors and experts and issue conversations that are not dated, you know? So yeah, we have a lot of good content. That was, this show was always meant set out to be a podcast in the first place. It just sort of turned into a live stream, like free for all. So we hope you guys enjoyed a great, great uh, show, great conversations all around. So with that said, Wednesday's my last show here. Wednesday's Jen's last show. She is, where are you heading? Asheville for six weeks. So it'll be the Gen Change in Asheville. Looks like I'll have to hold down the floor. You're going to have to just hold I'll it down. I'll do the best I can. Set, you should set up an office here. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Actually, I think, yeah, I know. that is what I'm going to do. I know. All right. See you Wednesday. Bye, all. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.